Here it comes. It's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode 55 of Nashville Untold, and thanks for tuning in. Today, I had the pleasure of hearing Kaylee Cornette share her story. Kaylee is the CEO of Hope Clinic for Women. Kaylee has served women facing an unplanned pregnancy and with women's clinics since she was 16 years old. Throughout her childhood, she moved from Colorado to Illinois to Arizona, where she started volunteering at her first pregnancy center. God's vision for her career started that year, and she knew this is where his calling met her passion. She attended Pepperdine University, studying business administration and nonprofit management while staying involved with a local clinic in Los Angeles. After a few years working in private equity and software consulting, she returned her focus to nonprofits. She has been in Nashville since August 2018, working in nonprofit advancement and development. She is an amateur tea connoisseur, yoga enthusiast, and avid business book reader. Her favorite things about Hope Clinic includes their focus on serving the women first, being pro-life from womb to tomb, and developing their champions, their donors, to fulfill their calling through serving with Hope Clinic for Women. In this episode, we chatted about how, at the age of 16, God put it on her heart to be empathetic towards women at such a young age who get pregnant and are faced with the decision of having an abortion or not. We talked about how much of an impact her parents' support had in her life and their influence. We also talked about having the sex talk with your kids and some tips around that and how it is important to teach your kids at an early age what their body parts are called and give them avenues to report sexual harassment. We hit on a lot of topics throughout this episode, and I know you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hello, Nashville. Today, I'm hanging out with Kaylee Cornett from Hope Clinic for Women. Thanks for joining me in the Rambler. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I'm so You're excited. welcome. You're welcome. Um, all right, so first question. When the alarm clock goes off, what excites you to get out of bed instead of hitting the snooze button several times? Mm. Um, definitely my hot cup of tea. <laughs> I already have today because it's freezing outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another one is, so I'm, I'm new in my role uh, as the CEO of Hope Clinic, and then I have this level of excitement to connect with our staff in this new way. So there's there's usually some one thing on my calendar that I'm really excited about to get to, mm-hmm. and that will usually help me get there. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a good book called The One Thing. You mm, probably read yes. it, right? Um, so that's good. You got The One the Thing. The One Thing, yes. Uh, I saw an office I was visiting sharing about Hope Clinic, and there was someone who had a sign on their door that said, don't bother me. I'm working on my one thing. Right. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Well, that's uh, definitely. Now, do you hit the snooze button several times or do you get right up? I used to not, but my husband's a snoozer and you just get used to it. And now I have bad habits. Yeah. yeah. I've, I'll do the, like, I'm close to keeping my phone downstairs. Oh, yeah. But I use so. it as an alarm clock. And then mm-hmm. sometimes I go to sleep, listen to a podcast or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I really need the alarm clock so I can get out of bed and then just mentally, like, no, go straight to the shower or do something, you know. Um, All right. So where did you spend your toddler years, and how did that environment begin to mold you for your teen years? 
Mm. So I was born in Colorado and uh, specifically Fort Collins, which is a huge city now. But back when uh, my parents moved there and had my brother and I, it was this really small suburbia. I consider the birthplace of craft brew. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think it was really safe and small. My parents got saved there. Um, so we're Christians and my mm-hmm. parents really got connected with a great church community there. So being in Colorado before it is the Colorado that is today, where it was just sweet young people trying to figure out how to Mm -hmm. be adults. I feel like that's the best picture I can think of when I think about the cul-de-sac we lived on and the neighborhood. Our neighbors had uh, wooden fences that they specifically built to be removed so we could have a double yard. Okay, and we that's put, cool. put like slip and slides between the yards. Oh. So it had like this huge, and that's like the memory I have from living there. Okay, that's pretty neat. The siblings? I have one older brother. Yep. So pretty good family environment just growing up. Yeah. Like good parents. I have amazing parents. They're still married. I, I look at my life, especially in comparison to the people that we interact with here at Hope Clinic is I'm so privileged. I'm so mm-hmm. lucky to have parents that supported me in everything I did. Mm-hmm. And not to say that everything was perfect because nothing is, but there's a lot of um, checks that mm-hmm. I received and, and privileges that I got from parents that really were just there for me. Right. And of course, you know, during that time you thought about all those benefits, right? Of your parents being such good parents. And, you know, <laughs> oh yeah. Like, I was, all the time yeah. I was so grateful. I never complained. I never badmouthed them. <laughs> that is so good. I mean, that probably, you know, it is funny because if you think about it, if, if, par- if kids could have that perspective, mm-hmm. it actually would help the parents because they would, you know, it would in- encourage them. Like my wife stays home and, you know, like she doesn't get enough praise from me, much less the kids, mm-hmm. you know, and Very it's difficult, job. you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. So when you were 16, you felt God was guiding you towards his calling. Let's talk about that season and kind of your teen years in general. Yeah. So we, uh, went for first or third grade, we moved to Illinois to spend time with my dad's family in super rural Northern Illinois, hundred people in our town. And then my dad got the opportunity to move to Arizona for a management position with FedEx. So totally new state, no family. Um, we moved across the country to Arizona and I spent essentially middle school and high school in the suburbs of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And, um, I grew up Pentecostal and okay. loved church. Like I can honestly say it was never that kid that was, um, like would be grumpy about, Oh, I have to go to youth group. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have to go to kids church. Mm-hmm. I was excited. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I fed off all of that energy. I was about to say, because there's a lot of energy. A lot of energy. I like did all the hand motions to Uh the worship songs. Like I was that kid. Right. Um, So when I got to my teen years, would go to camps and conventions. And I was at a specific convention, I think my sophomore year of high school. And I'm trying to remember all the details. But what the the memory that I do have is that at some point we had a speaker that was talking about pro-life issues. And I... I was pro-life as much as a 16-year-old can understand what Mm -hmm. that means. And God kind of gave me this picture of, okay, if you want, if it it is my will for people to choose life in the midst of an unplanned pregnancy and to not choose an abortion, um, what does that actually feel like? Mm -hmm. And he, God really gave me this experience while I was standing in the chairs of what we like for me as a 16 year old going to this big public secular high school, a very professedly Christian, Mm -hmm. if I got pregnant Mm -hmm. and had to walk around 
mm-hmm. and have people see that and what the shame that would feel like, the guilt, the what friendships I may lose out of that, what um, witnessing power, quote unquote, I may lose out of that and just how difficult that decision would be, regardless of if I choose to parent or pursue an adoption plan. And it was really enlightening for me to experience that in that moment. And God really said, what would it be like to be there for her? Mm-hmm. And not just tell her you need to choose life, but to actually be with her and support her in that moment. And so I said, okay, cool. I'll do that, God. And he's like, that's what I want you to do with your life. And Now, was there someone in the picture that made you think of that? There was a girl um, who got pregnant in one of my classes. And again, big secular school, so that there wasn't like this immense amount of Mm -hmm. oh my gosh did you see but it was still definitely a talk of the area and I remember thinking wow I wouldn't expect that from her and I think I reflect back on that now and go wow what did I do for her Mm -hmm. how was I there to support her and we've connected since Mm -hmm. she has two kids now and actually married the man Mm -hmm. that she had kids with which is incredible and not a normal story right um but really putting them to, to light of someone who I didn't really know that well and, and seeing her experience. And then my senior year, one of my very, very close friends got pregnant. It was a very stressful situation. And that was an opportunity where at this point I had been volunteering at a local pregnancy center and I could tangibly give her support mm-hmm. um, and walk through it. And unfortunately, like her story doesn't turn out perfect and not everyone's does. But I think that at least her experience during her pregnancy and the few years afterwards, um, she received a good amount of support, especially from the Christian community that she belonged mm-hmm. to, which, which is that's, rare. <laughs> that's probably, that's the most important and probably big lacking part, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So what did your senior year of high school look like? And when did you decide you would attend the college Bob Goff taught at? I love Bob Goff. Yeah. Because I noticed that you actually majored in the specific class he taught, right? Yeah. So he did, he taught two different types of classes at Pepperdine. Um, he taught at the law school because mm-hmm. he is a lawyer, which mm-hmm. is like the randomest mm-hmm. thing in the world. I've heard him speak a couple of times. And then he did a couple quoculums in the nonprofit management okay. minor that right. I received. Right. So I never saw him while I was on campus. Okay. I saw him speak other times. Yeah. But yeah, my senior year, I applied to 16 different colleges. I think <laughs> super overachiever. Every school I applied to was in the New York, Boston, Philly area, except okay. for Pepperdine. And you were in Arizona. I was in Arizona. I really wanted to wow. get out of Arizona, as you could tell. <laughs> and my parents said, we love Pepperdine. My brother went there. We'll pay for your application fee for Pepperdine. I was paying for all the rest myself. <laughs> which, which was what? Little... Probably like a $25 fee? Oh, I mean, no. It was oh. 60 and upwards. Oh, yeah. really? Like I think I spent $400 on application Okay, fees. It was okay. wild. Um and so I applied to a bunch of schools. They were like, we really want you to Pepperdine. And I knew I would get in because Pepperdine really values legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, my test scores were fine for their ranges. And I ended up going between two different schools. One was in New York, Fordham University, another um, like private Christian school. They're Jesuit. They have an amazing state-of-the-art business school. That's what I wanted to do. And then Pepperdine. Mm-hmm. And Pepperdine gave me a full ride. And I called the lady from Fordham because they gave me about 50% of tuition. And I called her and I said, hey, this is what Pepperdine's offering me. I really want to go to Fordham. Is there any way I can get additional scholarship? Maybe I can get a sports scholarship, blah, blah, blah. She said, this lady is like a typical New York lady. She was like, honey, you need to go to Pepperdine. 
Oh, really? So like, that was kind of maybe like a <laughs> this sign, This admissions right? counselor is telling me to go. So I went to Pepperdine. It was an amazing experience. My fear was that I would have a similar experience to my brother and like follow in his footsteps too much. But we're very different people. He did okay. theater. I did business. I went abroad and he didn't. There was mm-hmm. just a lot of variations that we experienced. And I think it was it was the right school for me in the end. But I got to study specifically business and nonprofit management. I realized, okay, God's called me to do to pursue this mission field of women on plain pregnancy, my initial thought in high school was, oh, I'll be a counselor. I'm not gifted in that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not where my natural strengths lie. Uh, but I'm much more gifted when it comes to Excel spreadsheets mm-hmm. and public speaking and things like that. So I said, business, I'll do business because people have to run the organization. Mm-hmm. And got really passionate in college about the idea of running a nonprofit well with a good head on your shoulders, not just a good heart for the mission. Right. So that's kind of what brought me to Pepperdine and what guided a lot of the right. decisions that I made while I was there. So uh, did you do sports in high I school? I ended up, oh, I did sports in high school. Okay. Yeah, I ended up I'm, not doing it in college. What'd you do? What'd you play? Uh, what do you think? Basketball? I didn't, Volleyball? I did a uh, individual sport. So it's not a team Wrestling. sport. Oh my gosh, that's it. <laughs> no, <laughs> my son does it. And there are some there's some female that do it. Uh I don't know. Okay, so it's a it's a field, it's a sport in track and field. Okay. Uh, but is not running. Uh the long jump? That's a good guess. That's not uh pole polting, catapult. Polting. Yeah, catapult. So, I don't know. I give that up. would be incredible. Uh shot put and discus. What is it? Shot put and discus. Okay. Where you like throw the big heavy oh, okay. thing. Yeah. Oh, nice. I got 12th in state. Nice. Yeah. So you had some strong arms. I, or, I think or it was, was form it? at my point. Okay. Because I was not big. There were a okay. lot of girls who were a lot bigger than I was, but I practiced really hard. Um. So what made you want to get as far as you could around away from Arizona? I mean, if you had such loving family. Yeah. I think that, I think part of it's like Arizona itself. It took me a really long time to even consider that state beautiful. It is now. I don't want anyone who lives in Arizona. I don't feel like you live in a beautiful place. It is Mm -hmm. beautiful. I love seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, I really wanted to be in a big city. That was what I felt like I really wanted to do. So that's why I pursued places like that. And L.A. is a big city, but is a very different kind of big city. Right, right. So just a desire. Yeah. And then, so then you came back to Arizona and then you, well, we'll get there. All right. So, uh. (laughs) Yeah, when I read that about Bob Goff, he was one of my favorite authors. I love his stuff. Yes, and I was like, amazing. oh, that's so cool. Um, all right, so what are some fond memories of college? Uh, did you get crazy or did you stay pretty focused? I was an RA for half of it, so no, probably didn't get very crazy. I did get to study abroad in Germany for a year, which is an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Pepperdine makes it really easy for students to study abroad. Um, was served as an RA there, so I was 19-year-old in charge of a bunch of other 19-year-olds. Kind of a recipe for disaster, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. Right. Um, I I feel like the best thing about Pepperdine is if you've met anyone who's an alumni from there is just the, the friendships, the people that you meet. Um, they attract a very particular type of person who loves community. Mm-hmm. And so I just got poured into a lot. And I, mm-hmm. those are still some of my closest friends. Even though I've moved across the country and my husband is not from Pepperdine, we still feel really connected to the mm-hmm. friendships that I formed there. So I think that's probably the fondest thing that I take away from my experience. Yeah. Cool. So good experience. Um, All right. So thinking back over the first two and a half decades of your life, who has had the biggest impact in your life? Hmm. 
our pastor asked a version of this question on Sunday morning about who are the people that we're leaning into mm-hmm. um, ancestry-wise or um, support system-wise. And at the risk of sounding cliche, it really is my parents. Um, they have supported me through anything I wanted to do to the point where um, I truly believe I can do anything mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. I have to remind myself that I can do anything, not everything, <laughs> which is a, right. a reoccurring theme. But to have someone in your life who was at every game, at every recital, at every play I was in and truly saying, yeah, you can pursue your dreams mm-hmm. and you can actually my family are very blue collar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even for my brother and I to go to college, we were the we were first generation college students in our family. And for my parents still to come from a from very average means and then tell my brother and I, you can achieve anything. I think it, it does something for me to be able to really believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, I compare my husband and I's experiences having different backgrounds and him running into more roadblocks of that was even now I'm like, yeah, you can do that. And he's like, I don't think I can. Mm. And it is, it is kind of a mental thing in it and Mm -hmm. a game you have to play with yourself, not to say that you should get all of your, self-worth from what people say about you but it does help you to feel more confident in yourself when you constantly Mm -hmm. have affirmation of other people saying you're on the right track you can do this and parents might have a little part in that yeah i mean they're just with me some of the time (laughs) which it's funny because even when i think you say cliche i mean really it's like i was blessed to have parents that were involved and encouraged you know and what did they do like uh, do you recall like kind of how were they encouraging they just kind of gave you the freedom to do whatever was it just like a a nightly you know it's you know i listen to stuff and people go yeah every night i pray or every night i do this i always Mm -hmm. question do you really do it every night every night um they might but i have three boys i have a 14 almost a 12 year old and almost a seven year old um and, yes, you're in lots of different age ranges. And yeah, and I'm I'm reading need to give to them. books and podcast, just so much stuff mm-hmm. of just being so self-aware that, you know, mm-hmm. everything you're doing and saying is mm-hmm. either lifting them up or tearing them down, you know. It's true, and I think we try to encourage our parents with this is like eventually you you may do or say something that's not going to and that's not going to land well. And you may not even remember it. And your kid may stick with that phrase forever. You can't beat yourself up about that. Right. My parents are not perfect. They say things to me that I still am like, I have that voice in the back of my head because right, that right. one time my mom said something. But that's crazy. even, yeah, I don't, don't feel pressure. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. right, right, right. <laughs> I think the thing that sticks out to me the most that they, they did for me is... I think consistency mm-hmm. is a huge mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, <laughs> it's a really tough thing Them being thing the too. same person mm. um, with me through my whole childhood. My mom is very confident. She's very brash. She, and that's who she is. That's still who she is. My dad is very thoughtful. And we would go on a bunch of diet arts. Very, so I've had two very mm. different parents that were both very much the same person my whole life, um, which is incredible. And then I think it's, they taught me to be independent. Mm-hmm. They are now uh, regretting part of that because mm-hmm. I disagree with them on things. And they're like, what? How dare you disagree with us? We taught <laughs> you to be independent. <laughs> you mean, wait, you critical I, think? Oh, yeah. that was just that was just how they how they raised my brother and I to be is we woke ourselves up in the morning. We had mm-hmm. our own alarm clock. We made our own lunches and not in a 
latchkey type of kid way, but of like, you're going to have to be an adult someday. Right. What does it look like for you to take care of yourself? Know that we love you and support you, but know that you're also capable of doing mm-hmm. it on your own. And then they just were there yeah. all the time. Like my mom worked at a lot of my schools, again, for better or for worse. Um, but I was involved in so many extracurriculars and I always had a parent in the audience mm-hmm. or in the stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think all of that's just, that's even great wisdom in people you're talking to that are mm-hmm. potentially about to start parenthood you know yeah just being um yes yeah, so shout out favorite local restaurant and favorite nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> what if i didn't say hope corner <laughs> well you could you could say another one i mean you don't have to okay, say it. it's, a, it's an too. obvious that's your yes. favorite okay i'll say another one. my favorite restaurant is lock on table in east nashville mm-hmm. just incredible farm to table food they have an amazing community hour so so good um other than hope clinic I would say my favorite nonprofit is probably Salome Health. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they're Part another nonprofit clinic like we are, and they specifically serve uh, immigrant population. And we refer a lot of our clients there for primary care, but I just love how they're coming around families to support them as they're coming into our country and what does it look like to love them like Jesus loved and mm-hmm. welcoming the refugee. Right. Love all that. Yeah. They have amazing yeah. clinical care too. Yeah, that's what's cool about even people of an asshole. They, you know, it's it's not about let's just give them food and leave. Mm-hmm. You know, it's community and you yeah. know it, they're doing a lot. All right, so now let's dive into Hope Clinic for Women. Tell me all about the wonderful stuff the nonprofit is doing um, in people's lives. Yeah, so we've been serving Nashville for almost forty years. We were founded in nineteen eighty three. I love finding people in Nashville who knew us then because there's a lot of our core values that are still the Mm. same. We are first and foremost, a pregnancy center. So that may be a phrase that people are familiar with. I don't know if you are, there's 30 plus pregnancy centers in Tennessee. And a lot of us exist for the, for the purpose of providing a pathway for life in the midst of an unplanned pregnancy. That's what we were founded on. That is our, our core service area. We do that through offering through pregnancy tests, ultrasounds and counseling in those initial moments of a woman finding out she's pregnant. But we have added a lot of services in expanse of that to really answer the question, what does it look like to create a way for abundant life to exist, not just life? Mm -hmm. So we do that through an amazing parenting program that we offer that's free to our moms and dads. That includes mentoring from someone in the community, education classes on things like car seat safety, breastfeeding, as well as like Bible studies and boundaries and professional counseling for free for those moms, case management for housing, food, and then all the stuff, mm-hmm. the diapers, the wipes, the cribs. A parent who is even remotely active in that program doesn't buy a single pack of diapers until their kid's a year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like minimum. Usually they're getting a lot of other stuff. So that's our, our parenting program pregnancy outside of that we added support kind of on both sides of pregnancy. So on the before side, we offer preventative women's health care. So we are a licensed medical clinic. We have nurse practitioners on staff that can provide annual exams, STD testing. Mm-hmm. We get to educate women about their bodies. So many people don't really know how their body works. And then they're wondering, why am I getting into these situations right. where I either have an STD or an unplanned pregnancy? Oh, I wish I knew more about mm. how I can prevent that or the risks that involved in different activities. The other part of prevention is a program that we do in middle school and high schools. Mm-hmm. So we go and talk to students about 
sex and we mm-hmm. talk about relationships. It's really from this, this idea of what does it look like to have a healthy relationship, not just romantically, but with your friends, with your parents, with coaches. Mm-hmm. And it is a really comprehensive curriculum over six sessions that we do where we talk about the values and goals they have for their life, how sex can affect that. What does it look mm. like to um, really pursue something? What are the risks? We have, we obviously talk about the health things. We talk about STDs and unplanned pregnancy and mm-hmm. all of that. But it's really through this lens of you have value inherently and you get to choose what you want out of your life. You're not just getting to walk into whatever your parents mm-hmm. uh, or if you didn't have a dad in the picture, it doesn't mean that you are going to be a single parent. So we talk about toxic friendships with our middle schoolers. And I was talking with a girl who had recently gone through that curriculum. So she's, I'm trying to think of age wise. She's in eighth grade. So she's probably 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, I was like, what did you like about the program? And she, she said, I really like this stuff about toxic friendships. Cause I didn't know that if one of my friends was being mean to me, I could tell her to stop. Mm. Or I could tell her that I don't want to be friends with her. And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, because if she's exercising that muscle as a 12-year-old saying, no, you can't treat me like that, <clears throat> she's going to be better equipped when she gets to high school or college and has a romantic relationship because she's already said no before. She's already set those boundaries because she knows what she's worth. Mm-hmm. So that's that curriculum's awesome. Sorry. No, that's fine. That. Well, and I'm just sitting there thinking too, like, do you, first of all, how do you get into schools? Mm-hmm. Is it pretty open or do you? We do a lot of networking Mm-hmm. with schools. Um, so our, we offer it for free for right. schools, but it obviously requires a time commitment mm-hmm. from the school and buy-in mm-hmm. from parents. So there's a lot of private schools that it's a natural fit because they usually have more time in mm-hmm. their day to do something like that. And we've started it this year where we'll do a parent session first. So all the parents right. are invited okay. and we get to talk about, this is actually what we're going to say to your kids. Mm-hmm. So when they come home from school, talk about it with them. We get them for six hours. You get them for the rest of the time. And then for public schools, um, we're also state certified for sexual risk avoidance. Tennessee is an abstinence-based state. So we fulfill and check that box Mm -hmm. for sex ed. Um, But it's just a matter of if the school is willing to commit the time. And we would love to be in more at-risk areas. How much time does it take? Yeah, so it's 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 a six out a six hour commitment out of okay. the school day. So we usually do it over the course of a week or something right, like right. that. So like which one. is really not that much time. I mean, yeah. when you think about mm-hmm. what you're teaching, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm like, even like that would be helpful insight to have kind of a timeline. Like, all right, kids are this age, and this mm-hmm. is when you should introduce this. Mm-hmm. So I had uh, me and my middle child went to Buffalo Wild Wings. And I know he's, you know, heard this and that a little bit, but I'm like, all right, let's get it all on the table, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny. I mean, I basically am like, okay, so what do you know about? I think I said sex, you know. What do you know about, you know? And he just has this look like, I can't believe you're asking me that. I mean, it was so. <laughs> I wish I could video the just the almost embarrassment and almost like you know. I was just oh, like laughing up. <laughs> and he literally he he's and so he's um twelve. No, he's eleven. Mm-hmm. He'll be twelve February. And he's in sixth grade. And um and so anyways, we start talking and I just kind of lay the terms out. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, before he said it, he was like, again, we're sitting in Buffalo Wild Wings, and he's like. Because I'm like, I know you know something. And he's like, well, can, can I do a motion? 
<laughs> and I'm like, no, you can't do emotion. Oh, I'm like, I'm like, I, I can, I kind of pictured what he would probably want to use your words. It's yeah. okay. So, anyway, so then we talk about you know pretty much everything, and of course, you know, depending on Christian beliefs, you know, mm-hmm. you incorporate. Because he actually thought it was just bad, period, mm-hmm. you know, even for parents, you know. Because yeah. uh, that, actually, that's what it was. How do you know babies are born? Or how do you know how, you know, how are babies made, mm-hmm. right? And so then that led into, you know, different stuff. So it was fun. And I don't, I mean, it, to me, it's enjoyable sharing that with my kids. I want right. to tell them that, you know. Yeah. And then they know that you're trusted and you, they right, can go right. to you because, okay, Dad said this word, I can come to him if I hear something else about it. And he is like a trusted person that's not going to judge me or I'm mm-hmm. not going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. There's a, a a tip for you as you're describing this. We I like this metaphor a lot when it comes to sex is that sex is like fire. Mm-hmm. It, um, in the context and in boundaries, like a committed relationship, it brings warmth. Mm. It yeah, brings like um, uh, a sense of comfort uh, but when it goes outside of those boundaries, it can be really dangerous and it can burn your house down. Yeah. 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 Because you don't, we don't want kids. I mean, I grew up in a, a culture, a Christian culture where there was this idea of sex is bad. Right. Which, what does that set you up with when you do get to a committed relationship like marriage mm-hmm. um, to have a negative view of it? So we like, we like using that metaphor that sex is really powerful. It is really beautiful in the context of boundaries. Right. Well, and it's interesting even as I'm thinking, because I'm like, I don't even know what in his mind made him think it's just bad, mm-hmm. you know? And then, of course, they think, oh, so you only have it when you made us. I'm like, no, <laughs> God has other designs for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I actually, I use that that burning analogy often, even within relationships, whenever, you know, it's like, let's say me and this, me and Graham, we have a continual, you know, little battle so there's almost kind of like this little Kindle flame going. And then when we get hot-headed, it's burning. Next thing you burning. And then I use the analogy of, and then when people come in contact, they're getting burnt as well. Mm. So it's like next thing you know, you burn your house down because you can't learn to, you know, put out that flame. You yeah, know? emotional so, awareness. That's, yeah. that's so key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that would be good for parents of just having that timeline Mm-hmm. Um, and going, these are healthy times. Um, and I, yeah, these are healthy times when you should introduce this and this and this, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's just a, probably a lack of care or a lack of no, you know, that parents just don't, are not as involved in that, you know, mm-hmm. ah, they'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or what if they ask me that question? And I'm not, I don't know the answer. Yeah. And I think that's scary too as a parent. Well, because, you know, that's the thing at those age, it leads into a lot of other stuff as well, you know, different types of relationships, you know, and you're like, okay. Um, And then you're teaching them right and wrong, but you're also teaching them loving others and all, you know. Um, All right. So uh, what is, which is, you probably kind of said this, what's the message you share to, to young girls and boys in regards to pregnancy? Uh, what are the stats of teen pregnancy? Uh, how can parents begin to educate their kids? Um, and at what age should they have uh, be having these talks? So yeah, I, I would say that there are there are co- pieces of that conversation that are appropriate, really up until your baby is talking. Like getting your child to understand names of body parts right. as they are actual names. Um, we did a training as a staff about. Um, maybe six months ago about uh, sexual assault and everyone in the state of Tennessee is a mandatory reporter 
for child abuse and there was a teacher who their student was Mm. not acting correct. And so she was going to go like figure out disciplinary action. And so she took the moment to be like, is everything okay at home? And the student said, well, no, I think it's like my uncle moved in and it's been really stressful, whatever. Imagine this in like child words. (laughs) I'm I'm sure he didn't use the word stressful. Mm. Um, He keeps touching my pockets. Mm. And she was like, what? And he keeps touching my pockets. And she, she was like, oh, he's like stealing something. So it's okay to share. And she literally said to him, it's okay to share because she thought that he meant his wallet or something. And for kids to understand, like, you need to know the names of your body parts so that mm-hmm. they can report and tell when something goes wrong. So that's something you can start really young. Right. But as you, as your child gets older, you get to talk about relationships. You get to talk about pregnancy. Um, Actually on that note about it, mandatory, how, what does that mean? Like, so say if a child or a parent is aware that a kid is and they mm-hmm. don't report it, but then later it's found out that they did know, mm-hmm. like what's the consequences of that? I, I, I doubt that it's probably in, enforced strictly, okay. but it is, um, under it's a liability or uh, a uh, negligence mm-hmm. that you could be tried probably not in a civil mm-hmm. court um but we'll just say you'll get in a lot of trouble right, right? Yeah. And, I, and i think yeah. it's just good to know that when when you hear something that seems off and i think of it from our christian perspective of what does it look like to really love the most vulnerable in our society and stand up for mm-hmm. them and like the justice of god's character mm-hmm. um to, to do that. And there's really great hotlines you can call and numbers you can call to do that. And you can do it anonymously. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can just have a, a, a case note of it. It may not mean that a bunch of things are going to happen afterwards. It mm-hmm. may just be, Hey, we have this on file and we will have this kind of written up for when something happens. Bigger. Mm-hmm. So right, right. just good to know. Um, when we talk to say our moms in our program about unplanned pregnancy, First of all, you mentioned teen pregnancy, and I wanted to give a little bit of demographics on the clients mm-hmm. that we serve. So majority of our clients, I think over 40% of them are actually, maybe over, over 50% are in the 22 to 28 okay. age range. Right. Um, and that is pretty consistent for pregnancy centers that are in a metropolitan area. Okay. Cities have lower teen pregnancy rates, uh, partially because of access to contraceptives, okay. partially because there's more things to do in a city. Right. Um, if you think about that's interesting. A, yeah. a rural yeah. place, there's right. just less to do. Yeah. Um, so we have less teens that mm-hmm. we see, not to say that we don't. Um, so we're really dealing with women who there's a piece of their mind that goes, I'm old enough to have a kid, but I am not ready to have mm-hmm. a kid and I don't have the support system to have a kid. And so I think that that also brings a level of tension into a decision-making process when it's, well, I'm not 16. I should be able to do this. Why can't I feel like I can do this? Mm-hmm. Um, but for the teens that we do work with, um, it, it takes a lot of getting their support system in love. So oftentimes when we have teens come in, if their parent is involved at all, we want their parenting their parent to get counseling too. Mm -hmm. So usually we'll, what we call options counseling. We'll talk with the, with the student or with the teen, and then we'll talk with their mom or dad in another room. And then we'll bring them back together because a lot of times parents have ideas of what they want their kid to do. But in the state of Tennessee, it's this, the, the girler that gets to Mm -hmm. decide what Mm -hmm. she wants to do. So we want to make sure that we're not breaking any 
relationships there that could be a potential support system. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So we got that. that yeah. Yeah. And then I was thinking too, I mean, even in the city, it seems that women are, well, women and men are like getting married later. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more single you know, dating and that scene that's happening in Nashville. Absolutely. I even wonder if, you know, all these apps, dating apps have, you know, contributed to an increase in having those situations, you know? Yeah. Overall unplanned pregnancies. Well, I won't say this. Overall abortions have gone down over the last 10 years. Um, Just a great thing Mm -hmm. to hear about. And I think part of it is due to pregnancy centers. There's so many of us. Part of it is due to access again to contraceptives. Um, I think another part of it is, there is more acceptance in single parenting, right? which again, is a good thing. Cause there's always going to be situations yeah. where people are having babies outside of perfect context. Mm-hmm. Um, and we as a community are more supportive of those women. Right. I think we as a church are actually more right. supportive that's, that's of that, I'm which is too. great. Yeah. Um, it would be great if that was more obvious when someone's in the decision mode for an abortion mm. statistics show that, you are a woman is not any less likely to choose uh, an abortion that, uh, based on her her religious background. Okay. So a non-Christian and a Christian are just as likely wow. to choose abortion. It's interesting. Which is heartbreaking. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So how rewarding is it working for a nonprofit? Oh my. I worked in private equity for a few years after college. You said private equity? Private equity. So um, essentially super big finance. You go and buy million dollar software companies. We go in and make some operational changes. Then we sell them a few years later for lots and lots of money. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was grueling. I learned a lot. And I would constantly have this conversation with people because I knew that I wanted to go back to nonprofits. Is it more worthwhile to work at a for-profit company and just donate a bunch, mm-hmm. make millions of dollars and donate a bunch or work at a nonprofit. And they would, they all made the case of, well, I'd rather go be a millionaire, billionaire and donate than go work for one. Cause mm-hmm. that's not a good use of my resource, my, my talent. And I, I finally came to the conclusion that I couldn't do that. I couldn't wake up in the morning knowing that all I was doing was contributing financially, which is obviously very, very right. important. Um, but for me specifically, I think mm-hmm. that I get such reward out of knowing that God's given me specific skills and talents and I get to use them for his His kingdom work. Right. And not just saying, oh, because I'm good at this, this highly sought after thing, I'm going to go do it in the for-profit world. Like, no, I'm actually going to take that resource and bring it to the nonprofit sector. So I feel a lot of reward out of that. Our our building is separated by three different levels. So the top level is administrative, and then the bottom two are client services. And the water's down there, the bathroom's down there. So I'm constantly down there seeing clients. And mm-hmm. it it's incredible to to realize how much I've learned mm. from the women that we serve. Right. Just the resiliency that they have. Every one of them is walking in with such heavy, heavy things that I honestly have not experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. And they're all coming out of it going, you know what? It's going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to be okay. We're going to do this. We're going to survive. And to see their ability to bounce back and ability to move forward is really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's cool. Um, all right, so let's talk about tough choices in general. What advice would you give to help people stay within the guardrails of God's will? Mm. So our, our tagline's a safe place for tough choices. Mm-hmm. I love that you caught on that. My biggest recommendation for, for anyone, and we specifically do that in our options counseling, is to take time to mm. slow down. Mm-hmm. With any sort of crisis decision, so whether that is, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant, or my um, parents just got diagnosed with a terminal disease, or crap, I have COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. With any sort of crisis that's happening, your brain is switching into what, what we just quickly call crisis mode, where your processing is only at half power because your body's in flight or flight. It's trying mm-hmm. to figure out how do I survive in this moment? And oftentimes mm-hmm. what that means is you're not making decisions that utilize all of your brain power, utilize all of your memory, your resources. Mm-hmm. So we try to get people to slow down. Right. To breathe. Like yeah. To think about their values before they got into that crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the questions that we like asking is, what did you believe about abortion before this? Or about parenting or about adoption? And trying to get them out of this specific moment to realize, oh, this is a value that I have because um, I've been through counseling. I know a lot of people have having that connection to your values and your actions when that when that's disconnected can lead to anxiety, depression. Um, So the closer that we can get those things to align, the better she will be set up for happiness, Mm -hmm. whatever that happiness looks like, low anxiety, low depression, those type of things. Um, yeah, she'll be better set up for success in the future if she can get her actions to line up with the values that she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> because even it's like during that time, it's pause and, and also, you know, reflecting even the people in your life because you could take some time and then you could go consult this person, but maybe that's not the healthiest person to consult in it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it helps you kind of reflect on, guess, all of your resources. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. I like that. All right. So, um, and it's funny because I always, I picture just that whole aspect of, um, you know, we're like, we're running full steam ahead, you know, and God's kind of trying to keep up with us. And well, he's always ahead of us, but you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so he's tapping on our shoulder. And we're like, no, no, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and then, and then, and then you see something, oh, a squirrel. And next thing you know, you're jumping off the rail, and it, it, it guy's just like, oh, God, why didn't you just stop and consult me, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, um, I just love the running analogy. All right. So share with me one or two business books you would highly recommend and why. Oh my gosh. I love, I <laughs> love reading business books. I, hmm trying to think of some that I've, I've read recently that I really like. I, I grew up reading magazines and so shorter, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I just read this incredible book called the dream manager. That's written like a parable. Okay. And it's really how the case study is how to minimize turnover. Um, the industry that they're talking about is specifically janitorial. So these jobs that are kind of dead end jobs. What does mm-hmm. it look like to value your employees in that space and to value their dreams that they have? It's written like a story, which I can actually work through and not fall asleep mm-hmm. reading. Um, so dream managers, incredible. Also really like another similar book by Patrick Lencioni called death by meeting. 
Okay. Another parable where it goes through how to have meeting structures that are actually healthy and how conflict is really important when you're having meetings, especially among executives. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to work that into our our management teams that we have, what does it look like to healthily disagree with each other, right. which means that we're going to get to a better result. Um, I also read a lot of HBR articles. There's a really good collection of articles about emotional intelligence that the Harvard Business Review put together. Um, again, short pieces that I can mm-hmm. kind of digest and think about. So those are yeah. probably my favorite three. I've read the last six months. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've got a whole, I got a good little business grouping and then some uh, general ones. I just, I just read, you've heard of uh, Carlos Whitaker. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote Kill the Spider, mm. you know, dealing with on the surface, a bunch of cobwebs and what's yes. underneath. And actually it was really good. Cause like, I mean, it, his big spider that he kind of talks about is his relationship with God, you know, mm. um, and even how at such an early age, um, how he went to this church event and they were having a magic show and, you know, he was really impressed with that. So he's going down to talk to this magician. Well, he didn't realize it, but apparently somewhere there was an altar call. And so next thing you know, he's, you know, accepted Christ, but yet he really didn't. But then he felt bad because everybody was so excited for him. And so he almost lived, he lived this lie for several years and how just that, you know, evolved into lying, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. My husband's like a voracious reader. And so he also just tells me about books he read. So he read power of habit recently. Got that Um, uh, Un-F yourself. (laughs) I've heard of that one. Yeah. 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 So he, he's on that train of like building healthy habits and I mean, that book's top 10, like any, any book. And I love, you know, going back to what you said about your parents, consistency, you know, I mean, it's like, even I feel I'm like, okay, Jekyll's coming out. No hide is, you know, and that all is going to stem from what you, what you got going on in your mind, you know? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, you you said you mentioned these words a minute ago, fear, anxiety, and depression, three impactful words. What are some wisdom you would share to help people navigate these? Because mm. nobody's really dealing with any of that stuff right now in the last <laughs> couple of years. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the weight of that question because uh, it is incredible, the amount of anxiety that our culture is experiencing. For me, I can speak from my experience with anxiety. Um, I, I think I had to accept that it looks different for every person. So anxiety for one person may look like I can't leave the house because I'm so fearful that X, Y, Z is going to happen. That wasn't my experience. My experience was, wow, I didn't realize my hand has been clenched for three hours. Mm. (laughs) What is that coming from? And I think for me, it was a lot of that connection of mind, body, spirit of I let my mind drive a lot of my decisions rather than recognizing what is my body experiencing? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling this tension in my stomach. My hands are clenched. Maybe I'm not making the right decision right now. Maybe I am stressed. Maybe I am experiencing Mm -hmm. anxiety. And there's such power in naming that and then taking that breath of what is my spirit? What does God want me to do in this situation? What does he want me to know about myself? Mm-hmm. and getting that to connect and not just letting my mind drive the conversation. That, that was my experience for me. I think a very tangible thing that has helped with that is eliminating time on social media, mm-hmm. eliminating screen time, eliminating net neutral activities, as I like to call it. So I'm really tired at the end of the day because I've given a lot out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so it's very easy to go, oh, I'm just going to watch TV. Right. But TV doesn't give me any energy. It doesn't take any, but it right. doesn't give any either. Uh-huh. And so what does it look like to do something that really puts <laughs> puts uh, stones in my bucket? Whether that's reading, talking with a friend, like spending time with my husband, spending time in the word, whatever mm-hmm. that is. It's harder in that moment to start that thing because it is easy to just flip on the TV and watch another Netflix show. Right. But I'm going to feel the exact same way that I started at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's helpful. And I think it kind of goes back to what you had said. One of the first things you tell women is pause, mm-hmm. you know, give time, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is, as I've learned more about that um, and, you know, been more willing to listen to my wife um it's like i realize i'm like I, i'll probably deal with some anxiety here and there mm-hmm. you know it's like i got a day because i do real estate and the market's been crazy over the last year <laughs> absolutely and but even like when i start my day i'm not always structured and i'm like okay what am i going to do and then i got like okay i need to do this and this and this and this and because i'm not taking the time to plan and reflect mm-hmm. I think that can create this, you know, okay, then I'm just going to go and sit at a coffee shop, you know, do something productive. You know? Just do something. Yeah, right. Yeah, And that's not always helpful, it. you know. So, yeah, it, yeah. it kind of goes back to the vegging thing, you know. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you're actually just putting off what you should be doing, you know. <clears throat> All right, so um, what advice would you share? Um, and it, it, we don't have to answer this one if you think you've answered it, but what advice would you share to help people walk through this chaotic season in our country? Mm. Yeah, I think I would I would say the same thing of getting off social media. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. Yep. Talking to real people. Yep. When I was I was talking to my wife, I was listening to this podcast and they said the number one contributing factor to um, you know, being hospitalized by COVID or death was uh um obesity. Mm-hmm. Um number two was fear and anxiety. Um, as in I guess chronic, I forget what they said, dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And um and so then I kind of paused there and, but then it went on to kind of talk about, all right, so what can you do to eliminate that? You know, instead of just going, Hey, let's take this or this, like, all right, what can we do to address these two things? And the big part is the like, rooter, turn, the yeah, issue, yeah. turn the, turn the TV off because I mean, there's just so much conflicting stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun conversation. You know, like I enjoy talking to people who, yeah. I mean, I've talked to some people that are so way out in these rabbit holes that I'm like, oh my gosh, where's your hope? Like you say it's mm-hmm. God, but like you're putting it way in something else and it's kind of crazy. And then yeah. you got way over here, you know? So it's, yeah. uh, I've heard a, a lot of crazy stuff. I watched the, oh shoot, the Netflix documentary on, I cannot remember. It's about Facebook, essentially. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the social dilemma. Social yeah. dilemma. I yeah. actually haven't watched it yet, but it's almost like I, I guess I'm a. I think I if feel you I'm understand the concept, maybe don't because right. it will just make you more frustrated. Yes. <laughs> I think the best tip I got out of it was I turned off all my notifications on my right. phone, and I've done that anyways, which was great because I was like, oh, I'm in control of when I go mm-hmm. to these apps. They're not controlling me mm-hmm. when I go to them. Yeah, the only I have, uh, which actually I have my phone on vibrate most of the time, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll get text notifications. Yeah, I get texts and calls. That's what yeah, I get. and calls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, all right, so uh, you are about to finish your newlywed year. Um, how has the first year been? And how did you meet Jordan? And what was your proposal story? Oh my goodness! 
Uh, so I've been on a podcast once before, and it was to tell this story of okay. how we met. I will make a very shortened version okay. of it. Okay. So I was living in L.A. at the time and working at a private equity firm, traveling for work three days a week, flying across the country. Was really exhausted, wanted a break. And so I took off a few days and I said, I'm going to go somewhere that looks like fall. So we met in, in autumn and I went to the map and found Georgia and found this tiny little cabin in the woods in such as Georgia, mm-hmm. which is like super, super tiny. Booked a cabin by myself, flew out there, rented a car, spent the weekend hiking and visiting Blue Ridge, if you're familiar with that. Yep. And um, the last city town that I was going to visit is a town called Dahlonega. And a girlfriend of mine was like, you need to check out this winery that's there. Like, okay, cool. So I'm on my way to the airport. I stop into this winery on like a Tuesday morning. And it's this beautiful Italian villa in the middle of like super rural, low income Georgia. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't really fit. And there was this cute bartender who had a broken arm. <laughs> and we, it was just the two of us because it's again, Tuesday morning. So uh, Jordan was mm-hmm. the bartender there. We sat and talked for three hours. Wow. Um, he probably thought I was crazy. And but you're at a bar in the I'm morning. I'm at a bar in the morning by myself. <laughs> and and I was being really sassy to him, too, about some of the stuff that he was saying and making fun of his cast. And I mean, because he's like a mid 20 year old man mm-hmm. with a cast, which is really funny. Um, so, yeah, at the end, I I said, oh, my gosh, I got to go. I got to catch my flight. Um, spoiler, I missed my flight. Mm. Um, but I was like, I got to go. And we kind of had this moment of, oh, like this was we really connected. And so he said, I would love to keep up with your exploits. Mm. And I was like, what is he saying? What does that mean? I think he's asking for my number. Right. So I gave him my business card. <laughs> I wrote my cell phone number on it. And he said, call me. And then I left. And he texted me an appropriate amount of time later. Mm-hmm. And we texted for a few days. And I said, this is dumb. I'm not texting with some guy thousands of miles away. So called. Right. And then we found out we were both Christians. That had not come up in our first conversation. We realized, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, we are had the same upbringing when it comes to the church. Our beliefs about church now were very similar. Just, wow, there's actually something here. We talked every night on the phone. And then I went and visited him again for Christmas. And then we went. We just made trips for each other. Mm. We did long distance for nine months. And then he was like, hey, I'm moving to Nashville. At this point, I was ready to leave for profit, okay. ready to leave L.A. I said, Nashville sounds great. So then we dated for another almost year in Nashville. Yeah, and that's cool. Got married. So maybe that was God's timing in there. You taking the trick trip and all that stuff. Yeah. I think it absolutely was. We both had some pretty crazy God nods throughout uh-huh. that trip, even that morning. Like, so yeah. I think the whole thing was God. I would not have met him otherwise. And he's the perfect person. for Yeah, me. that's awesome. Well, cool. And then proposal story, anything funny with that? Um, it was on a random Monday. He had a ring for six months, took it multiple places, including Disneyland, and didn't propose. Mm, okay. And then finally, one of his guy friends was like, dude, we just got to do it. Was Choose he nervous or he was looking for the perfect moment? I think it's also like parents are divorced. He was nervous, okay. wants it to be perfect. All of those things combined. He is an overthinker. And just chose a random Monday. We went to Centennial Park. We had a little setup. He's mm. a musician, so okay. he like sang a song for me, uh-huh. and and yeah, and there gave you. me the. And you me. said yes. I did. Awesome. I did say yes. All right. So if you could jot down a few words of wisdom and pass along to your um, younger self, what would they be? Mm. 
I think once I came across the phrase of you can do anything, not everything, my life was very significantly different. I very much because I was so supported, I really tried to do everything. I was involved in so many extracurriculars. I got so much stress out of that that I really wish that I could take in a couple steps back and relaxed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, you can do everything, but not, you can do anything, okay. not everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think I can do everything because, you know, around the house and projects and, you know, I'm like, no, I don't need to do yeah. everything. Our clinic director has a sticky note on his desk that says, I am but one man and God is sovereign. Mm. Yeah. Maybe seek him for guidance. Yes. All right. So from the great words of Paul and Timothy 4-7, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. When your journey's over, what legacy are you hoping to leave? Mm. I think I don't want to make it overly complicated. I would love for people to understand the character of Jesus better because of knowing me. Okay. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I keep messing with that for some reason. I don't know because it's like in your face, but it's like it, it just seems to not. I mean, we're almost done now, but yeah. I mean, it's getting you, but I don't know what it is. All right. I like that. Um, I'll cut all that out. <laughs> but yeah, I like that simple, you know, I mean, almost it's like it, it, it's kind of like it could be a cl- cliche of I just want to love people well, right? Because mm-hmm. that really mimics him. But then, of course, you got to know what does love look like in God's eyes, yeah. you know, I think love is patient, kind, and yeah. all the things that are said at a wedding are like, wow, that's really difficult to love Yeah, well, and that's often. what God does for us, not what we could possibly imagine trying to do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A good friend of ours who's left the church and then is a season away from the church mm-hmm. told Jordan and I that I, they, she said, if more Christians were like you, I wouldn't have left. Mm. And that's oh, yeah. like both hard to hear, but also really encouraging of like, what does it look like for us to continue being who we are and being who God's meant us to be in her life and, and be that light. Right. So that hopefully someday she will feel comfortable coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just kind of turn on people's heads, what they think Christians. Yeah. Are, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, just like you going abroad and traveling and different, going to different cities and stuff like, I think it, it just, just doing a podcast and hearing people's stories and perspective and being in real estate, helping people, yeah, you, um, a lot of people. you know, a lot of people <laughs> like it, it definitely, and I haven't traveled. I mean, I've gone to Haiti and Nicaragua on a couple of mission trips, but haven't traveled abroad much, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but it's just like, I think just being willing to listen, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, going downstairs and just hearing these women mm-hmm. talk it it I, I heard some quote somewhere just I forget how it was phrased but it was just the value of, of listening you know and mm-hmm. not talking so I've been working on that this year because I can be long-winded you know yes. you do a podcast where you listen to people so yes I know it, it, it does and these are times <laughs> when I'm like all right so if I can sit here and I can listen to someone but it is exciting because you're learning something new from about mm-hmm. some someone or what they're doing or whatever you know, it's like, okay, take that and sit down with your kids or your spouse for an hour and, mm-hmm. you know, listen to them. And hear know. them tell the same story yeah. again. Over and, and over. And being able yeah. to sit through that and, yeah. and honor them in mm-hmm. the time that they are sharing with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So uh, real quick segment, the Nashville Real Estate Minute or a few. How long have you lived in Nashville? Three years. Uh, what made you choose Nashville? 
my husband was moving here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what community did you land in and why that location? So we originally, well, I've lived three places in Nashville. We were, I was in East Nashville first, off right off Shelby. Mm-hmm. Loved it. So fun. Uh, when we got married, we lived in West. Also very much loved mm-hmm. it. Um, our lease was up when COVID was happening. And so we actually live in Nolensville now mm-hmm. with a friend. We lived with another couple okay. that has a baby. She's a year old. And we are mm. the black sheep in this suburban neighborhood of four adults living in a house. <laughs> our neighbors think we're crazy, but we love it. It's kind of. How do you like Nolensville? It's That's, very suburban. Yeah. It's very safe. It is. We have really great neighbors. Yeah. I don't know if it's like the exact culture that we want right. this time in our life pre-kids, but um, I think it's. You're learning. With kids. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, tell me about a great memory that you often share about Nashville. Hmm. Memory of Nashville. <laughs> the memories I'm sharing are really hilarious and maybe not sweet. Um, well, fun. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> hilarious is the best. So the house that I first lived in off Shelby is I, I didn't realize it was an iconic house that I had moved into, but it's one of the brick homes that was built in the late 1800s that has a green light outside. I think they've since changed it, but for it, it's just a rental this family owns and the family who owns it originally built the church next to it. So it's the same brick, which is super cool to see mm-hmm. like this, this really historic church and this home were built from the same bricks. It was the pastor's house, beautiful home, not super well taken care of because of renters. Mm-hmm. But when I finally started telling people where I lived, they were like, oh my gosh, I thought that was a crack house. Cause it has this green light outside. It was not a crack house. It was just a house full of four girls that All were right. trying to be, we realized, I was like, why don't we change this? We should make it look nicer. Right. And one of us made the, had the idea of, no, if it looks creepy, then people won't want to come. Right, inside. right. He didn't know that it's like four young girls living in this house. So, so that was your alarm, the yes. green light. We had we had a great time there. It was a beautiful home, fun neighborhood, really conveniently located. So yeah. I think. What would you look for in a good real estate agent? Someone who is willing to dream up a the type of house that that we're looking for, and not um, my husband and I like really weird stuff mm-hmm. we like small stuff we like stuff that has character and i've, I've talked with a couple of real estate agents that have been like you sure do you don't want to get that nice new build mm-hmm. no give me something that has some character with mm-hmm. it and to not judge me for wanting something weird and maybe right. just hey you know we'll find it eventually mm-hmm. maybe not right now right so that'd be nice. Yeah, I, I always find when i look at homes and somehow I'll go in and they'll judge it and be like oh my god that's so crazy and i'm always like I kind of appreciate what people, they make it their own. Mm-hmm. They create their character. And sometimes it's fun just to see the craziness that people mm-hmm. dream up. Because even with my house, like, well, the plan is in the one we moved in two years ago. And I'm like, yeah, this is our house for 20 years, you know, because mm-hmm. um, it's got everything that that we want, I want for sure. Right. Um, and then I'm just going to make it my own. I'm not going to look at everything and be like, oh, okay, is that an investment or not? I'm like, no, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm going to live in this house. I'm going to yeah. make it mine. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so what advice would you give to someone looking to move to Nashville? Hmm. I guess it depends on where they're moving from. I know a lot. As someone who moved here from Los Angeles, I got some advice from a friend of mine when I moved here that was helpful to help me culturally acclimate here. She said that Nashville is actually very similar to L.A. in that it has this entertainment scene mm-hmm. to it. Um, the difference 
she described is that LA, no one's Christian. No one would admit to being Christian. In Nashville, everyone's Christian. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hard to find the people that actually are. So really taking your time to find a church community that you can plug into so you can find those authentic friendships Mm. has been amazing for us. Mm -hmm. And we have some really good friends that I think are going to be lifelong friends that we took the time to find our niche of yeah. people. Well, that's good too. And I think when we've, we've been here 20 years and when we first, we moved here, got married. Um, and then we plugged into a church, plugged into a newlywed class. Mm-hmm. And it was great because you realized all this stuff that you bicker about at times. It's like, Hey, that's pretty normal. You know, we're trying to work this mm-hmm. out. Uh, but then it also, um, yeah, it was like, but pre kids, you were able to invest in those relationships. And mm-hmm. even though some have moved and stuff, we're still friends with several of those you know so i do think that i think it's important moving into the city is finding those friends you know so you have that support system i was like community is so key and even to the point about anxiety and depression stuff the Mm -hmm. biggest one of the biggest factors in fighting depression is a community and people Mm -hmm. loneliness is it, it sounds really simple and shallow but can have a really pervasive effect in your life and so finding authentic community that's not digital um, is really, really key. So how can people connect with Hope Clinic for Women? How can they volunteer? Um, you know. Yeah, so our website is hopeclinicforwomen.org. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Hope Clinic. And the best way to connect with us, I would say two ways. Um, if you are already like, ready to go and volunteer, we do a monthly introduction class over Zoom. Just at the last Wednesday of the month, Everyone jumps on a call and we share about our history. We share about volunteer opportunities. Then you have an opportunity to fill an application. The other thing is we do fundraising events. We are, our next one coming up is December 2nd. Um, it is a silent auction we're doing at West End Community Church. We do our gala in the spring. That'll be March 2nd. Um, so it's just really great introductory step is to go and have fun with us mm-hmm. um, first. And then I would say definitely come check out the clinic because mm-hmm. it really comes together when you can see the building that we're able to provide care in. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I was extremely impressed with Kaylee and all that Hope Clinic for Women are doing. I hope you understand the value of the nonprofit, such as Hope Clinic for Women, and the positive impact they are having on people's lives. If you know anybody that will benefit from the services of Kaylee and Hope Clinic for Women, please don't hesitate to reach out to her or the clinic. Uh, You can tell they have a lot of services to take care of a lot of needs. As you can tell from the conversations, they are here to serve you. Next episode, make sure to tune in. I'll be sitting down with Rachel Barentine. Rachel ignites fresh faith through music, speaking, writing, and humor. She is a songwriter, producer, author, and speaker based in Nashville, Tennessee. Through 20-plus years of pain, illness, and Lyme disease, Rachel's battle for answers and healing have deepened her music and message. Her passion is to help people have light bulb moments with Jesus. She has shared the stage with artists such as Matthew West, Charles Clay, and Mercy Me. We dive into her story and how she is making an impact in Nashville and beyond. As always, thanks for tuning in to Nashville Untold. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And please feel free to share with your friends if you enjoyed the episode and got some great um, information out of it. I do intend to be more consistent throughout the year with uh, more interviews of people around Nashville. Um, As you probably are aware, Nashville is a, uh, a definite 
hot spot for people moving here, and there are a lot of great people around Nashville making an impact. And on that note, if you are moving here or looking to move, uh, please don't hesitate to give me a shout. I do uh, full-time residential real estate, help people buy and sell in this crazy market. Um, pretty much multiple offers, a common theme on every house. Anyways, it's uh, it's crazy. So if you do have that need, feel free to give me a shout. And until the next episode, have a great day and go make a positive impact in someone's life.